Fair to Midland? Good? Bad? Ugly? What is it? Some days it's good, some days it's bad, some days it's ugly, amen? But he's on the throne all the time. Anybody ever have an ugly day? Wow. He's still, <laughs> he's still on the throne. I didn't hear what was said, but I'm, I'm not going to ask again. So we're in Hebrews chapter 2. In just a minute here, we're going to jump into that. And Sister Kim is going to come up and read the chapter for us. Um, I'm just going to ask God to bless the word. Hebrews is such a powerful book. You know, we, we talked about the fact that it's going to prove the superiority of Christ, that Jesus is superior and he's everything you need. And you say, well, why is the writer of Hebrews doing that? It's because uh, he is trying to prove his case to the Jewish mindset. This book of Hebrews, obviously written to the Hebrews, it's not the book of the Gentiles. It's the book of the Hebrews. So it's, it is focused at the Jews in a very powerful doctrinal way. And it is there to show them the superiority of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we just thank you for this study. We thank you for this incredible book you've given us in your incredible word. And, Father, I pray tonight as we hear uh, everything that you've tucked into chapter 2, that you would uh, let it blossom to us, that you would quicken our understanding. And, Father, you would tuck these things into our hearts, that we would be able to bring them up in due season and use them for your glory. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sister Kimberly, my lovely assistant. Hebrews chapter 2. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also bearing witness with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking, but one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that thou dost remember him? or the son of man, man, that thou art concerned about him. Thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor, and hast appointed him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not see yet all things subjected to him. Verse 9. But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For, if, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to thy brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. 
For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Praise God. Did you get all that? All right, you can go home. Reading it is one thing, pulling it apart and chewing on it is another, amen? Can you turn this up a little bit, Mike? Nobody's hair moved when I started talking. I like a little power, I have to goose it. So, amen, amen. So Hebrews 2 continues making the case that Jesus is superior to the angels. We talked last week in chapter 1, superior to the prophets, superior to the angels. Uh, the writer is trying to prove the superiority of Christ. Why? Because there are Jews sitting on the fence here that want to believe and not sure to believe. So as Paul did every time he went to the synagogue, he proved to them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So... Jesus' superiority over the angels is the issues here. In verse 1, he encourages us to pay attention to spiritual realities. Look what he says here. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. D did you hear that right there? The word, you know what the biggest problem we have as people? We don't pay attention. And you see it, people who can pay attention, people who can focus on what's going on around them. We live in an ADHD world now, don't we? And people's attention plan is very short now. It's shorter than it ever was. When I was young, we used to sit in church for over two hours, and the messages were over an hour long. I remember when I started preaching, I was putting an hour and 15 minutes of messages together. If I did that now, everyone would die. And I'm telling you, it's different. It's different now. Our attention span is different, but the word tells us pay much closer attention, and that's the word of the Lord. Pay attention to what? The spiritual realities that surround us. We can't just look with our natural eyes or we're going to miss God. We've got to look with our spiritual sight. And so he's telling us pay attention. We are body, soul, and spirit. We're a trichotomous being. We have three parts. You say, where did that come? We're created in the image of God. He's, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, body, soul, and spirit. We're created in his image. Now, we're very acclimated to noticing soulish things. Can we agree? You know, you hear, you hear like a good beat going, anybody? You hear a good beat and all of a sudden you're like, even my kids' music, man. I don't know, this generation, I know why you guys are angry. Your music is bad, but... I hear it, and all of a sudden, I start tapping my foot. You know, it gets on you, doesn't it? What is that? That's your soul. Hey, anybody got soul out there? So soulish things we pay attention to. And boy, physical things, we're expert at that. Everything physical, man, we notice right away. And, you know, we're, we're exterior-minded. We, we care the way we look. You know, some of us spend so much time, more time in the mirror gussying up what we got left than we spend in the Word. I know it's a small group tonight, but we're going to have fun anyhow. So soulish things and physical things we pay attention to. But you know what? Spiritual things, oftentimes, we're not sensitive enough to those things. 
And that's what the text is here trying to get us to, you know, see the spiritual side of things. That's what he's trying to get these Jewish folks to see, the spiritual things here. He said we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. We as Christians, we've heard the gospel. We've heard the word. How many times have we, I mean, I've been, I've been preaching for so many years. I, 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 it's hard to find a text that I haven't touched. So I can say, well, I've heard this all before. I've done it. No, but it's always fresh. It's always new. Why? Because we're paying attention to what the Spirit does. Uh, It's easy to become a hearer of the Word and not a doer. Why? Because we hear it over and over again. You know, we get desensitized to hearing about our Savior. We get desensitized to hearing about our faith and our spiritual walk. There's things, you know, portions of Scripture that we've heard over and over again. Sometimes as a, as a preacher, I, I throw it out there, and there's no response. Why? Because we've heard it so many times that we've gotten desensitized to it. Anybody agreeing with me? And the longer we sit out there and the longer we walk with the Lord, sometimes we get desensitized to hearing the truth, to hearing the the, the things that the Word's asking us to do. And we need our hearts to be circumcised again. Our hearts get hardened. We, We get jaded. It's quiet. There's times in life when I've come to a place where You know, I I had lost my enthusiasm or my excitement, and and I'm just like, God, you you need to circumcise my heart again. What does that do? It makes your heart tender again. Come on, do you remember if you're, if you're, old or young or wherever you are? I remember being young where everything was exciting. Anybody remember that? And you woke up in the morning refreshed. Anybody remember that? I mean, I wake up, nothing still works. And you can't even get parts at this point for this model. But God wants us to be excited. He wants us to be enthusiastic about things. And we need to pray, God, circumcise my heart. There's a part of me that wants to be a little kid again, Charles, just to be excited about things, amen? You know, you get up on Christmas morning, you're like, no, everybody's ripping presents. and You're just looking at it, you know. God, let us not become desensitized to the good things of the kingdom. We must pay close attention to what we've heard. What happens if we refuse to pay close attention to the things we've heard? We run the risk of going astray. Look what it says, so that we do not drift away from it. If we don't pay attention, we can get deceived and we can go astray. And you know, the scripture says we're all like sheep and all of us have gone astray. So going astray is a real issue. It says, you know, pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. Pay attention. That's what the Lord's telling us right now. Verse 2 the law, the word, and the gospel are unalterable. Listen to that, that word there. For if what was spoken through angels proved unalterable, when the angels brought New Testament things, brought the Ten Commandments, you know, bringing the gospel uh, to, through Jesus Christ, all of these things are now unalterable. You, we can't just pick and choose out of the Bible, amen? Now let me try that again. Try this section. We can't just pick and choose out of the Bible. It's the full gospel, amen? It's all or nothing, come on. But yet, you know, we get to this place where, you know, people want to alter the word. They want to leave this out. They want to, there's a portion of scripture where it says, that, let it be a curse to anyone who adds or takes away from this word, amen? You can't do that. You know, somebody tell the Mormons, you can't just add a book of Mormon to the Bible. 
Hello? You can't just take, you can't add, no. It's closed. The revelation is closed. We're not adding to the scripture. We're not adding to the gospel. It's closed. And so we've got to be very careful that we don't treat the word as if it's alterable. Are you getting me? God's word never changes. It never passes away. There is no gospel part two, no matter what the cults say. Man is held accountable to the law of God, whether he acknowledges it or not. We're going to be held accountable. Look what it says. And every transgression and disobedience receive the just penalty. We're going to be held accountable whether we agree with it or whether we know it or not. Do you realize that? There's going to be people who, st- who stumble into eternity and have no concept of, of what God has required of them, yet they're going to be held accountable to it. Do you realize God's truth is like gravity? Even if you don't agree with gravity, it still works. If you go up to the top of a high cliff and you go, I don't believe in gravity, I think it's a hoax, and you jump off, you're going to fall. You know, I don't care how many cartoons you saw with Wile E. Coyote and Bugs Bunny, saw the limb off and the tree fall. No, it's not going to work that way. You're going to fall. The gospel, the word of God, the truth of God is like gravity. It works because it's a, it's a spiritual law. Every transgression and disobedience will be brought into judgment. There's a penalty. So verse 3 and 4 talks about neglecting our salvation. It says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Verse 4, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So let's just stop there, verse 3 and 4, and take a look. You know, our salvation is an amazing thing. The fact that me and you guys tonight are saved is a miraculous miracle. (laughs) Take a look around the room, amen? God chose a peculiar people. Here we are. And we're saved, and that's a miracle. God has snatched us out of the muck and mire. He snatched us out of the fire. He's made us trophies of his grace tonight, amen? Our salvation is an amazing thing. Prophets waited to see these things. Prophets died before the cross, yet we see them, we understand them. The veil is torn in two. We have intimacy with the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. Woo! Our salvation is an amazing thing. How could we neglect our salvation by not be paying attention to the spiritual realities that are going around us? That's a shameful thing to do, to just squander the salvation uh, that God has given us. God saved you, God called you, God equipped you. Look what it says here, by spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, he's given you unique gifts all for service. I think about Christians who say, well, they say they're Christians, but they won't come to church. And they say, well, you know, I I worship at home. Well, where do you use your gifts? Where where do you give? Where do you serve? Where, Where do you receive the word? Do you preach to yourself and take an offering for yourself and minister to yourself? You're weird. You're a weirdo. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. This is a body. <laughs> so here we go, you know, neglecting our salvation. What a, what a thing to neglect. God has confirmed both his word and the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles. Look what that says. You know, there's no doubt that he confirmed the gospel. Look at the things Jesus did. Look at the things the disciples did. Look at the way that they all died. Every single one of them was martyred, except for John, who was boiled in oil, and it didn't kill him. Do you ever like 
think, you know, you're going to get martyred and you wish it would have worked, but it didn't work for John. And they threw him on the island and God gave him the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos. But they all died a horrible death. And you say, well, what's the point of that? The point of that is this. Who would die for a lie? If, if it wasn't true, if it was a hoax, if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, if they didn't witness the resurrection to the point where they'd rather die than recant their testimony, think about that. God has confirmed the word. He's confirmed what Jesus has done. And it's an amazing thing. We have spiritual gifts, unique gifts given to each of us for unique kingdom purposes. Use your gifts. Verse 5 and 8 show man's place and role in the hierarchy of God's creation. We are part of God's creation. We have a, a very significant place in creation. It says, For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking, but one has testified somewhere saying, What is man that you are mindful of him or remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, verse 7 says. You've crowned him with glory and honor and appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. From, you know, you put all things in subjection under his feet from in the subject of all things to him is he has left nothing that is not subjected to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Let's unpack that. This is a powerful thing. Man has been given a very special place in creation. And we need to understand this. You know why? Because our world doesn't understand this. Our world, you know, worships trees and worships animals. And there are people who say that animals and trees and, 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 and the earth is, is all, all equal to a person. There are people in, in you know, humanism and and kind of the worship of creation that think, you know, a, a, a frog is, is worth the same as a little baby. A, a, a bird is worth, you know, a person. And, and it's not. Jesus said, aren't two sparrows sold for a farthing? Aren't you worth much more than these? You know, we're worth much. We're the crowning jewel of God's creation. Now, I know that rubs against our, our twisted, secular, humanistic society that, you know, they, well, oh, you know, Mother Earth. Listen, there is no Mother Earth. There's only Father God. Hello? I, I'm reading the Bible from cover to cover. I have never seen Mother Earth in there. I've seen Father God and Jesus who created all things by him. Hello? We got to stop with this humanistic nonsense, wives' tales and fairy tales. God is the creator of all things. And man, he's given man authority uh, in these situations. He made us a little lower than the angels. And, you know, we can talk about that a little bit. Angels, that's why when the angels fell, there was no chance for repentance for them because they had a wider knowledge than we have. And they didn't have a capacity to sin. And once they did, it was over. It's done. You can't preach to demons and get them to answer the altar call. Hello? They're done. They're different than us, and we're created a little lower than them, but God has given us, he's crowned us with glory and honor. You know, what does that mean? That he, he's put the seed of God in us. Those of us who are born again have the Holy Spirit in us. We, we're marked of God. We're the children of God. 
He's crowned us with glory and honor. Man has been given stewardship over all of God's creation. God created it through Jesus, and he says what? And he has appointed him over the works of your hand. You know, we as the created people in the image of God have dominion over the whole earth. You see it. You don't see, you know, you, you see man creating things and building things and inventing technology. I've never seen, you know, fish didn't invent like a, a tank so they can come onto land. You know, uh, we, we fly planes and we go into space and we do all these things. Why? Because God's given us dominion over the planet, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. Hello. We need to understand our role. Why? Because we, we have a job to do. We've been given stewardship over the earth. We have dominion over the animals. Now, we don't abuse them and misuse them. We care for them, and we cover them, and we take care of them. And, and, you know, we're not just animals among animals. We're the crowning jewel of God's creation, and we have dominion over the earth. We also have a responsibility to take care of what God has given us stewardship for. It says, and he has appointed him over the works of his hands. That's the stewardship. Man has dominion. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. So where does this dominion come from? It comes from Jesus Christ, who is making us stewards of his creation. So the world is subjected to man. The second half of verse 8 is really interesting. It says you put all things under our feet in subjection, the works of your hand. We get it. We got dominion. We got stewardship. We got responsibility for in subjection, all things to him. He left nothing that is not subjected to him. Now listen to this. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus has authority, he has dominion, he has power, he has the name above every name. So what is the writer of Hebrews trying to say here that not, we don't yet see all things subjected to him? That's pretty interesting, isn't it? We have stewardship and dominion. It comes from Christ because he's the creator of all things. He gives authority to the children of God over the things he's created. But we don't see him having dominion over all things right now, and here's why. Calvary is a finished work. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. Calvary is a finished work, but sin still has power at the moment. Understand this. You know, I used that illustration. I told you about that snake that, that they cut the head off and they poked it with a stick, and the head was still trying to bite. Anybody here for that? Were that, were I dreaming that or did I tell you guys that? No. Okay. So, you know, that happened at a, at a, at a kid's camp. So that, that's the thing. Jesus broke the power of sin, yet sin still has temporary authority right now over the lives who refuse Jesus Christ. So that's what it means here that we do not see all things subjected to him. We're, we're in an interesting position as Christians, uh, you know, having dominion in the earth and having Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're in an interesting position that we are contending against a defeated enemy. You tracking? The devil's defeated, hello? Jesus made a show of him openly. He, he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and he set captivity free. Hello? So what's this whole thing about sin that we still struggle with sin, and the world is still under sin because not everything is subjected to him completely at the moment. We contend against a defeated devil whose game plan is to create as much misery as possible until Jesus puts him away in that final moment. 
Now listen, when is that gonna happen? I am so glad you asked. Write this down. Revelation 19.20. You and I are contending with a defeated devil. He still has a little sting of sin to deal with, but Jesus will take care of him finally, and Revelation 19.20 tells us when. And the beast was seized with the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he received those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. That's good news right there. At some point, you say, I'm tired of contending with sin. I'm tired of dealing with the devil. I'm tired of temptation. So am I. God is finally going to take that defeated devil and throw him in the lake of fire for eternity, and it's going to be done finished. It's going to be over completely. And then Jesus will have dominion and have subdued everything. What is he doing? He's sitting at the father's right hand until the father makes his enemies his footstool. We are in the gap between that and right now. And sin still has the sting of death. You and I are immune to it because of the blood of Jesus, but we live in a world that's affected by sin. You know, verse, uh, Nine describes what Jesus endured in taking on the flesh for a season. You know, we often don't think, we think, oh, Jesus, you know, he just came. He was born as a little baby. Isn't that cute? Cuddly, Mary, holding him, swaddling clothing. Do we really realize what Jesus did when he took on the flesh? Well, he lowered himself. He humbled himself. Any humble people out there? Amen. If you said you were humble, that means you're not. No, just kidding. Jesus is, (laughs) we struggle with humility, but boy, did Jesus humble himself. He lowered himself. You know, he lowered himself to to be, you know, lower than the angels for a little bit. Look Look at verse nine here. But we do see him who made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 9 is an incredible verse here. Jesus lowered himself. He humbled himself. Why? Because he came to earth. He was born of a virgin, and at that moment he became fully man and fully God. This is a mystery that's hard for us to understand. But Jesus, when he took on the flesh, he took on the flesh. It was real flesh. It had the capacity to sin. Yet he was still God, Emmanuel, God with us. So look at that. The God-man comes to earth, born of a virgin. What is that all about? He condescends himself. He lowers himself. He had all the weaknesses of the flesh, but he never gave himself over to the flesh. He never sinned. And because he never sinned, he, de- he destroyed the power of the flesh flesh when he offered himself as the payment for our sin Woo! that was a mouthful i'm exhausted having said that such a powerful thing jesus did because he was fully man at the point uh when he came to earth he, he was a little lower than the angels why because he had the flesh on so even though he was god on high he came to earth and he became lower than the angels for just a time what a thing jesus did for us in humbling himself how could any of us walk in pride and thump our chest and think we, we can demand anything of God? The humility that Christ portrayed for us is an example. Because the suffering of his death crowned with glory and honor so that by 
the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That's what Jesus was doing on that cross. He was tasting death for everyone. He tasted it for me. He tasted it for Kim. He tasted it for all of us. So that if we would just accept him and what he did in our behalf, the father would not see our sin anymore, but he'd look and he would say, hey, that's Rick, that little knucklehead sinner. No, I see Jesus. That's my son. He has the mark of God on him, the Holy Spirit. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 10, it makes sense that Jesus, the creator, would become the redeemer of all things. Sometimes we forget to think of him as our redeemer. For it was fitting for him for whom all the things and through whom were all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Jesus, who was creator, becomes redeemer. Uh, there again, a powerful concept there that we could spend time looking at. Verse 11, for both he who sacrifices and those who are sanctified are all from the Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Because of what Jesus did reconciling us to the Father, we are a part of the family of God. We are joint heirs with Christ, amen? And, and it's hard for us many times to understand that because we can hardly understand what our inheritance is going to be. When we get to heaven, I think we're probably just going to stand there for a thousand years like this. <laughs> it's hard to understand these things. It's hard to comprehend them. The one who sanctifies Jesus and the church is sanctified through him. It makes us brethren. It makes us the family of God. Uh, verses 12 and 13 saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And, and again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. We're part of the family of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're part of the fellowship of the unashamed. We are the king's kids. Just, just think about that for a second. I know it's hard because sometimes we don't feel it, but we are. Listen to Galatians 3, 26 through 28. For you are all sons of God and daughters. It's included in there. Through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We're children of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. We suffer, and yet we enjoy the resurrection power of being in Christ. Who your spiritual father is is of great significance. Jesus is saying that you as children of God have God as your father. Who your father is in a spiritual sense will determine your destiny. Jesus pointed out who the father of the religious rule keepers was in John 8. 
43 through 45. Listen to what he says. You heard this before, but let it just let it just wake your spirit up. Why do you not understand what I am saying? He's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he answers the question. It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Whoa. Apparently, Jesus didn't read that book, How to Influence People and Make... And he, he just, you know, he needed some help there. He, was, he just says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But I speak the truth, and you do not believe me. Wow. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says, hey, you know, you think you're Abraham's son, but let me tell you something. God in heaven's not your father. The devil's your father. You're a bunch of religious rule keepers. And you know what? You're not connected to the father. And you would say, well, how can he say that? Because they didn't receive him. They didn't believe him. They were supposed to know the prophets and the scriptures, yet they couldn't see the Messiah standing right in front of their face. You say, what had blinded them? Religion. A religious spirit is the worst thing to have. Religious devils are the hardest ones to cast out. Wow. Your spiritual father is of great significance. We are children of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're part of the family of God, the body of Christ, the fellowship of the unashamed. Verse 14, those who are legitimate children of God share in both the sacrifices and the accomplishments of Christ. And that's an important thing for us to understand. That, you know, suffering is part of the package, but so is, you know, the blessings and the, and the fruit there. And we, sometimes all we see is the suffering in life. But this present suffering is not to be compared to that eternal weight of glory that awaits us, amen? We're going to suffer sometimes just for a little while, but heaven is a long time because it's eternity, hello? Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So there again, we, we share in the sacrifices, we share in the accomplishments, uh, we identify with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. How do we do that? Through the waters of baptism. You know, the, the word says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. What are we doing in baptism? We're, you know, putting you under the water. That's death and burial, right? If you don't think so, I'll hold you there for a while and you tell me if the world is going black, right? It's death, burial, and then when we bring you up, what is that? It's resurrection, newness of life. So we identify with Christ in water baptism. We share in his suffering. We endure persecution for his namesake, and we also walk in resurrection power. At the end of verse 14, it lists the purpose of everything Jesus did, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Why did Jesus come to save us from our sin and to destroy the works of the devil? Amen? I told you, the devil's defeated. Yet his end game is just to take as many souls with him as possible. He has a short time, and he's desperate. Jesus came to defeat and destroy and de dethrone the devil, and he accomplished everything he came to do. He broke the power of sin over us, and he did it on the cross. So 1 John 3, 7 through 8 says this, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous. And if he is righteous, 
he that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest. Here it is, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Mission accomplished, Jesus. He broke the power of sin. Oh, look at the, you guys are so excited about that. Am I, am I, should we take a nap or do we? Almost done. It's quiet in here. We need some more loud people. We'll coffee them up next time. Verse 15 uh, is an interesting verse. And he might free those who through fear and death were subject to slavery all their lives. Slavery is an ugly thing. It's a part of every nation's history. In fact, there's still slavery going on right now today. M many people don't realize that. In Upper Africa, they're still enslaving people. Uh, the Muslims capture uh, people from different tribal places, and they're actually slaves in, you know, uh, Upper Africa. It's just amazing. We're kind of so, you're looking at me like I'm making this up. Go, Charles, am I telling the truth? It's just amazing. Slavery still exists today, and it's an ugly thing. It's an ugly thing on our nation's history and, uh, you know, still an unsettled issue for a lot of people. But, you know, as we look at this, our nation fought a bloody civil war. There was more people killed in the civil war in Americans. Why? Because both sides were American. The death toll was just amazing. If you ever visit Gettysburg or look at these places, the, we fought a bloody civil war, and then political legislation followed where people would say, well, Abe Lincoln freed the slaves, and you know what? A lot of people weren't happy about that, and they shot him and killed him over it. You know, Jesus freed the slaves too, and the devil wasn't happy about that, and the devil tried to kill him over it. But he rose from the grave on the third day, amen? And he's freed us we were spiritual slaves, slaves to sin. All of us who were born of a woman were born with original sin. And we had that sin nature. And sin reigned, you know, throughout mankind until the cross. We were all under the bondage and slavery of sin. But Jesus died to free us, and he destroyed the power of sin, and he destroyed the slavery that goes with it. Look at it. It says that he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and that he might free us through the fear of death who were subject to slavery all their lives. You know, before you come to Christ, before I come to Christ, we were slaves to sin. It's amazing. I look around at the world and I listen to people. Well, I'm free and I, 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 I'm free to do this and free to do that. You know, there are people who are walking around saying they're free and they are slaves to sin. Well, I do whatever I want and you're a slave to it. There are people in jail who are born again that are locked up that you would say they're not free. They're more free than people on the outside who are chasing sin around. Our spiritual reality is something we need to pay more attention to. You and I are free from sin. Jesus broke the power of it. Verse 16, another contrast between the role of angels and the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a king who sits on a throne and has a name above every name. Angels are ministering spirits who serve the purposes of God. Jesus is above the angels. And there again, he, the writer is showing the superiority of Jesus over angels to combat false doctrine. And that's even relevant to us today. Some cults say that Jesus is an angel. He's Michael the archangel. And it's, it's not true. Jesus is Jesus. And Michael the archangel is Michael the archangel. They're two separate people. There's no schizophrenia in the Bible. So he broke the power of sin, and he gives us the contrast here. Jesus couldn't come to die for angels. He died for lost humanity. 
Angels, we talked about that when they sin, they're fallen forever and lost forever. And those fallen angels have become demons. That's where demons came from. A third of the angels rebelled against God and followed Lucifer, and God cast them down. Amen? So understand spiritual things here. Verse 17, Jesus became a man to die in man's place and to be able to perfectly identify with man's weakness towards the sinful nature. And understand that Jesus can relate to you and I. Hello? You think, oh, he's up there and he's Jesus and he's got the, you know, and how could he? Because he took on the flesh and he knew what it was like to be tempted. He knew what it was like to be under the oppression of sin. Yet he never gave himself over to it. He can identify with us. Do you know, in some ways, the father can't identify with us in that. The father knows no weakness. The father knows no temptation. The father never knew the, the tug of sin. Our heavenly father doesn't know those things. That's why he sent Jesus. And that's why Jesus is the perfect high priest for us. We're going to hear a lot about the high priest in, uh, in the book of Hebrews there because that, that is very significant and important to the Jewish mindset. But... You know, understand that Jesus can relate to you. Don't ever think that, oh, I can't tell him this or I can't tell him that or he doesn't understand. He understands. He was tempted in every way like we were, yet he never fell victim to sin. Uh, Jesus is the perfect savior, mediator, and intercessor for us. He is our high priest. We're going to hear more about that. Verse 17, as we're bringing this in for a landing, verse 17 drops one of those theological words that we need to pay attention to. Remember, we're supposed to pay attention here. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. We're going to hear that theme throughout Hebrews. In things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So that's one of those theological words that we need to pay attention to. Propitiation comes from the Latin word propriate, and it means to appease. It suggests regaining something or someone's favor by making up for some wrong that was done. Is that ringing any bells? Jesus regained favor with the Father for us by making up for our sin. He appeased the penalty of sin. What The Bible says the wages of sin are death. The soul that sins will surely die. We were born sinners, so what was the penalty that we had to pay for our sin? It starts with a D and it ends with an F. All right. Pretty good. What? Cabbage? What did you say? No. So the wages of sin are death, and we had to pay the price, but Jesus paid in our place. So he is the propitiation. He appeased the Father. Why? Because the, the Father's holy, and he can't, you know, he can't just overlook sin, so sin had to be paid for. So there again, look what Jesus did. He regains the favor there. He appeased the wrath of God to us. You know, sin attracts the wrath of God. Why? So that there would be repentance uh, Jesus broke the power of sin, so now that when we repent, we can be saved. He's making up for the wrong. What was he doing on the cross? Making up for the wrong that we had done. Appeasing the demand of sin, which was death. And he is the propitiation for our sin. So remember that word and be mindful of who Jesus is and what he's done. Verse 18, the last verse. For he, since he himself 
was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. There it is. He can relate to us. He was tempted. He understands the weakness and the draw and the seductiveness of sin. Yet, while he can relate to us, he never gave himself over to it so he can teach us how to not give ourselves over to it. Are you getting this? How does he do that? By the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth, amen? By the cross and by his blood and by the empowering of the precious Holy Spirit, you and I will overcome sin because everyone born of God will overcome sin. Amen? That's Hebrews chapter 2. Let's close our eyes and say a prayer that God would burn this stuff into our hearts. Father, I pray, Lord God, tonight that everything that was said here that was of you would burn into our hearts, that we would understand who our high priest is, what the propitiation for our sin means, that you were a vicarious, substitutionary sacrifice for us. On our behalf, you died so that we could have fellowship with the Father again. Father, I thank you so much for all the truth that you've tucked into Hebrews here. Father, we know that we have dominion and stewardship over created things, that we are not just an animal among animals, but we are the crowning jewel of your creation. I pray, Lord God, that we would take our dominion and our stewardship seriously, that we would pay attention to spiritual things, that we would use our spiritual gifts, and we would produce spiritual fruit that would glorify our Father in heaven. I ask all this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. I think we didn't take an offering, did we?